Hello, and welcome back to the program. I've been away for a little bit, and I hope that you all had a great holiday season and are enjoying the new year in 2023. This episode will likely come out in February. So I did take all of the month of January off. I've started a new new job, which it might be something I talk a little bit about. I'm working for a school now, and so I'm doing some evals. And so that has my brain working in different ways. So anyways, my guest today, Jim Scott, is a TBI survivor who survived a drunk driving accident. He talks openly and candidly about his experiences after his TBI. His story is somewhat of a dramatic one. He's lucky to have survived. He spent six weeks in Beth Israel's ICU in a minimally conscious state with a severe TBI. He then subsequently went to Boston Spalding Rehab, which he talked very wonderfully about. His family had experience with having another family member there. So his brother actually suffered a spinal cord injury years previous to his own injury. I met Jim at the Kremble Center, which is a center in New Hampshire that is is focused on TBI survivors and how they can really create their own community. I was so impressed of how they build community at the Kremble Center in such a different way. It is a peer-led, driven community where they dictate what happens. So they talk more about hanging out versus going to treatment, of living their life, really figuring out how to live in a new brain. So check out the Crumble Center. I'll link that in the show notes. I really found that it's just a unique place that I haven't experienced before in in the brain injury community. So Jim is now 14 years post his injury. That's on his website. I'm not sure if it's been more than that. And he's big on building community and reaching out and having part of a community education group. He also works in various financial services, and he also is working in his family business, which is a cause-based animal nutrition company. He has speaking engagements, and he's open to speak if you have an event that you'd like him to speak at. He has spoken at communities, uh, schools and other various places where you might want to hear about TBI and especially having a TBI after being in an accident where alcohol was involved. So please listen in. It's a wonderful episode. I hope you will connect with Jim after as well. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Blanchett, where we explore the heart of brain injury. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the TBI Therapist Podcast. It's so great to have you on the program today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So with all my guests, I ask them, what is your TBI story? Yeah, so um, when I was 23, I just graduated college in May, and I was partied a lot and I had a problem with drinking, but I um, got in a drunk driving car accident. I drove into the woods in Durham, New Hampshire on July 3rd. It was after midnight, so it was July 4th, 2006. And um, I don't remember anything from probably a week or so before the accident until 
August 10th, I think I woke up and started remembering stuff, but um, I drove in the woods and I was unconscious immediately. And then I guess after like 24 hours or so, my eyes flickered and they stayed open for a little bit, but I was unresponsive still. And I, they, you know, they would like prod me with metal things and stuff to see if I'd like maybe react. And I didn't have anything until about six weeks. And then I regained awareness, so to speak. And um, I pretty much, it was a right side diffuse axonal injury. And most of the trauma was to the frontal lobe, but it was a diffuse injury. So it was all over the place. But um, I had entire hemi paralysis on my left side. And um, my speech came back okay, but really raspy. And I had a trach and I had pulled it out and I had some complications from that. But from the time I was aware, it's all my recollection. I My progress was pretty, pretty solid. And I, um, I was at Beth Israel. They brought me to Beth Israel in Boston for six weeks in the ICU. Then I went to Spalding in Boston, the old one near the Boston Garden for six more weeks. And I was there, um, and I got discharged, I think, right at the beginning of October. And my mom is phenomenal. And my parents work for themselves, and my mom wanted me to come home. So she took care of me pretty much around the clock for a while and drove me everywhere to rehab appointments. And I was an outpatient rehab for um, two years. And I was blessed to be able to do that. My, my parents were very supportive, and they said, let's remind you to just focus on recovery. So I did that at Portsmouth Hospital, narrow day rehab, four days a week. You know, it was from like 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And it was phenomenal. I made a lot of progress. And so it was, it was really, really, really good. I mean, unfortunately, my, my, my family had a lot of experience with um, the rehabilitation process. My brother actually, in April of 05, had a spinal cord injury. Oh, wow. Yeah, he fell off the balcony. So he's paralyzed from the waist down. He's doing great now. Oh. Obviously, but he's, he's doing phenomenal. He's a high school teacher. He has a daughter. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's great. He's a great kid. Um, he's a head, head, head hockey coach at Beverly High School, which is pretty cool. But um, so that was, in a weird way, a blessing. In a weird way, my mom mm-hmm. was small. Like my brother was there. and kind of The house was adapted for him. I moved into his room because he was at college at this point. But... um. So it's been it's, it's been good, and I mean, a lot of a lot of the things in my recovery, I've been blessed that I was kind of put into the positions to succeed. Whereas that's not always the case for everyone. I mean, I had very understanding parents, and then there was sort of like my first job or working experience was like kind of like an internship, one day a week, then two days a week, and then I eventually went to three days a week. And now I actually work for my family. My parent, my family's in the pet food business which is pretty cool. So it's been, I mean, it's, it's been good. I mean, I think the, the big folks I'd want to say though, is I, I find, I, you know, that the old school thought like after a brain injury, your recovery is one year and then you're done. And like, right. you don't get back after a year is gone. Like I think back like, after a year, I, I just like got out of a wheelchair and got, and I, I might, may have still had a cane, but, and I've made amazing progress. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, July 06, so that's, you know, 
it's going to be 17 years in July. And like, I still notice improvements. It's never done. You're still a human being. I mean, we can, people get up, they go to the gym, they try to learn, they read to improve themselves. And we can still do that too, you know? Yeah. And that's what I find that I'm doing. I mean, I think the big, big issue and the real challenge that I've had is more mental health and the like addiction. I, I struggled with alcohol when I was younger and then I got kind of struck sober in my accident. I was sober eight and a half years. And unfortunately, I relapsed and I drank again, not for long, maybe a year and a half. And it got really bad. And I had to get some help for that. But so I've been sober now for since um, August 4, 2016. And it's, and it's, it's good. But I still think it's tough. Like I get stressed out and sometimes yeah. I just like get, get away from myself. And I, 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 one thing like I have an amazing family, they're very supportive, but I know that like it, it hurts them to see me struggle. And like, you know, my parents, we've been really fortunate. They always be like, all we want is our kids to be happy. And sometimes I'm like, all they, all I can't even do all they want sometimes, you know, like, I don't know. It's, it's It could be a challenge, but mm-hmm. I mean, I think. It's funny, I actually was at the Carnival Center today where I met um, you, Jen, and it, I, that, that place is literally, well, I won't, yeah. won't say it saved my life because, you know, medical people, and but it, like, basically gave me a life to begin with, like, after, I thought everything was over, I thought I couldn't play sports anymore, I couldn't, like, be wild and party, so, like, my life was over, and then I'm, like, plugged into this amazing place that gave me like a purpose and I'd go there and I mean I, I still go whenever I can I was there today and it's I mean even like we were playing this afternoon I'm trying to remember the game we were playing memory still an issue for me but uh oh like Wordle like that New York Times game and like yeah. I was like so into it and like it's just funny like to be able to have fun and like I remember the first day I went there you get so plugged into the recovery thing that that, that begins to be your life and you know, everything's a doctor's appointment or a medical appointment. You, every relationship you have is you're a project, you're a patient. And you just, it's like, not that anyone's trying to do that, but it's dehumanizing in a way. And like, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I've heard a number of people I've worked with told me that over the years. Like I always say this, but I have, you know, several clients that was like, you know, I like you, but I don't like coming here. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like coming to therapy. And I was like, I get it. Like if that's, if your life is seeing providers, then it can feel like it's not a life for a lot of people. So finding ways and other tools, finding your people is important to feel like you're living your life and you're doing other things than recovery. Yeah. I mean, I think too, you know, acceptance is a big word that's thrown around the recovery community through like for addiction recovery and also range recovery. But it's almost almost impossible to just like be a normal or prototypical functioning human being and then have like a serious disability and all of a sudden and just move on like nothing happened, have no like bitterness or like why why did this happen and be upset about it. But like there's a good good saying in a recovery program and like they'll will love you until you can love yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean I think one of the coolest parts about the Crumple Center is, so I have a great family and 
but all the friends and I mean unlike a lot of people after brain injury I didn't really lose any friends I people stuck with me and I was blessed but in a way it's kind of like in my mind I was always thinking I had to be the person I was yeah fit into that life and people deserve that and they love that person and I couldn't be it and then I find this center carpal center and it's like a community where they only know me as I am now, you know, I'm like, it's, it's right. amazing to like be accepted into something like that. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, you know, I, I know I met you there at the Crumple Center and I was really struck with the community, the acceptance. I mean, when I worked in neuro rehab at Bayside Neuro Rehab in Portland, in my training, the community is just so accepting. Like when there's someone that's new that came into neuro rehab, you know, the other the other clients were just coming right around and were like, Hey, this is what we do. This is where you get coffee. This is, you know, so it was really important to make people feel welcome. And when I worked at neuro rehab, but this crumple center was like another level of community. So I don't know if you want to share a little bit about what you've experienced there. Well, I mean, that's a kind of funny story. Like the first time I went there, actually, I had heard about it when I was in day rehab at Portsmouth hospital and, I remember they were telling me about it, and I was like, eh, I don't need more rehab. I don't need, need more therapy. I'm like, that's fine. I'll move on with my life. And so I, I didn't go. And then and then I had this, like, theory that, like, or this sense that, like, I was fine now, you know, like, and I, I even though I have my, my issues and physical and cognitive, but I remember, so I was, like, working two days a week, and I was getting really tired of work. So they had the day after I'd work, I would not work. And I would, I would, one day I was at home, my 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 dad was there, and he was like, you know, Jim, I love you, and I don't want you to be sitting on the couch all the time. And I was like, well, I love you too, Dad, but I'm exhausted. I can't go to work. He goes, well, go volunteer somewhere. So I remembered Crumple Center. At the time, it was called uh, the Crumple's Brain Injury Foundation. They had a program called Stepping Stones. Mm-hmm. I, like, I wonder if I can volunteer there. So I set up a meeting with Lee, the uh, executive director or program coordinator at the time, and I met her in the lobby. And uh, mind you, I didn't have a license. I couldn't drive. And I to walk without a cane, so I had to have someone walk behind me with their arms, like underneath my armpits, like my dad. It was my dad that day. He walked me in, and I remember I, I said to her, hey, how you doing? I'm Jim. Yeah, I sent you an email. I was going to come and meet. She was like, oh, yeah, so what, what do you think you might want to do? I go, well, you know. I don't need any help, but I think I can volunteer, like thinking I'm like cured, you know? So I, uh, and she was like, well, you know, that's great. And I think she had heard that from different brains. So I was the first time they come there. And so she was like, why don't you go to the morning meeting and then we'll meet and you can tell me what you might want to do. And so after the meeting, I was like, this place is unbelievable. Like I was like, just so relaxed and like everyone's joking around. It's like normal interaction with people. And so I, I was like, you know, I don't think I want to do anything. I want to just hang out. <laughs> and so she was yeah. like, that's fine, too. And, you know, that was like November of 2008, and I'm still hanging out. So I don't know. And yeah, that's know. great. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's just an amazing place. It really is. It's a it's a special place that I haven't experienced, you know, in the brain injury community. So, you know, I, I think other communities are probably, you know, should be a little jealous because it is a little nice slice of community that's just great that a lot of people don't have access to. And it's one of the things I talk with survivors about a lot is finding their community because no one is going to get your specific issue like a survivor will. Well, I mean, even like 
I think that's like a human thing, not necessarily just brain survivors, but we need to have like peer support. And by peer, I don't mean other human beings. I mean people that have a similar situation. Not that we need to segregate ourselves by, you know, like disability, race, religion, whatever, but you can like find people that have struggled or face the same challenge that you have and you get just an amazing amount of support. Mm-hmm. And then my recovery in general, like programs that I'm involved in, like it's just something about it, yeah. Yeah, it's it, there is something about that community coming together for a specific purpose. You know, I think that for the Crumble Center, it's it's around brain injury and supporting yeah. folks that have been through that. But for other communities, yeah, they can rally around whatever cause or issue that they're, you know, what's important to them. And I think for other survivors that, you know, found community in other ways, maybe that's been through a faith community or it's been through, you know, some kind of other community, like a army community or a veteran community, but they found like where they feel like people can see them Mm -hmm. and understand what's going on. So, yeah. So in, you know, I'm kind of interested a little bit in like the substance use stuff and brain injury because it's a big issue. So, you know, what's funny about that is, um, you know, I had an existing problem before my accident and it was because of that or greatly impacted by it when I had my accident, but I found a lot of the the part that they don't, the sobriety and recovery from the brain injury were kind of conflicting because there was this huge push to you know, you're not, you're not your disability. You, you can do anything you want to put, put your mind to. You can, just because your brain is, I mean, your life's over. And I remember, honestly, the thought, I've been sober for eight and a half years after my accident, mostly because of fear. Like, I was like, if I drink, I'm going to probably have a seizure. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to undo my progress. And I, I was working at Merrill Lynch in downtown Portsmouth, and I was walking home one day. And I saw a reflection in the, the window at the brewery downtown Portsmouth, and I said, wow, you know, I can work and pay bills. Nobody's going to tell me I can't drink. Because I was like, to have a thing that perverting that attitude of, you know, I can do anything anyone can do, even though I right. shouldn't be drinking. But it's like, understanding, but I kind of know I've had a lot of help and treatment. But I did mm-hmm. now. It's, that's like the one thing you just... You don't will yourself better or like work hard and get better. You just need to abstain. But I mean, I think it's it's scary too because I think the huge amount of brain you have in, in young adults, a lot of young pe- guys too, like in um, that age, it's so hard to like, you're trying to get back into your social group or go out. Even like still like I'll go out like with my friends or whatever and like it's just like everyone drinks and it's like, you feel like it's just, if you're, if you're normal or if you're a healed human being, you should be able to do that too. And it's, it's it can be challenging. Yeah. It's, I think it's one of those, you know, limitations. I grew up, I actually grew up in a recovery family. So my mom is 30 years sober. So growing up in the recovery, you know, community and understanding that, you know, some people just have different, bodies and different brains and without a brain injury some people just cannot be around alcohol or they will drink again and that will cause them to deal with that disease and i i definitely see it as a disease and with brain injury you know i i just wonder what did you notice when you were drinking after your injury with your brain injury symptoms did you notice like they got worse 
like honestly like even now like you know it's just like 16 and a half years later i still have balance issues and, and a little bit awkward and people probably think i'm like intoxicated when i'm walking down the street boards with and i mean so it's kind of like i would be like the effects after not drinking for eight and a half years and then with the brain injury were like much more intensified mm-hmm. and but i in my head thought like i could just like drink like i used to and the judgment is not you know whether it's impulsiveness or you know prefrontal injury to the brain like is already impaired anyways and then you add alcohol which that's the part of the brain the prefrontal cortex is where it mostly affects people right even if they don't have brain injury if you already have issues there you're not going to make good decisions and i found that you know i just was just not a good idea yeah yeah and I, I just know it's a huge issue in recovery that a lot of people with brain injury recovery and people that might have, you know, used before or had that propensity to, you know, drink or use other substances. So I think there's a unique kind of struggle there of finding support in the brain injury community for the alcohol disorder or for, you know, another substance disorder. What worked best for you to get help? Um, I, I was involved in the recovery community um, prior to, like, relapsing, which is kind of weird because I got like, kind of struck sober. I got used to it um, after that. So I was, like, pretty plugged in. So I, did, I never, like, left that world, which was probably saved me because I always had, like, one foot in the door. Yeah. It was, like, you know, they, there's that old parable about, the kid that asked his grandfather about the two wolves, a good wolf and a bad wolf doing battle. And he goes, well, which one wins? And he goes, whatever one you feed. So like, I kept <laughs> that like recovery and like my foot in that door. And that really saved me. Cause I mean, just like I was talking about the crumple center, like we'll love you until you can, lo- you can love yourself. It's like, we want you to be like sober and happy, even if you don't want that for yourself. And eventually right. you will, you know, but yeah, I remember. So I worked detox for a while, and I just re- I always remember this guy's story. He would he would say he would drive drunk to a meeting every single morning, and he was like, "Hey, if you happen to be on this road between seven thirty and eight eight forty eight, whatever eight o'clock, let's say, I'm drunk and I'm driving to this meeting, so that's what's happening." And he did that. I forgot how long he said that he actually drove drunk to a, an AA meeting, but it what he just kept doing it because he knew he needed recovery, but he didn't know how he would stop drinking. And it was you know when he came to detox, it was a nurse that really kind of helped solidify some of that for him. That was his story. But I think making an action towards recovery is super empowering because you're trying to start that habit, even if you're not fully on board to come to that identity of someone who I do not drink anymore. I'm someone who is a non-drinker now. But he made that choice to say, I'm going to start. I'm going to start going. And no matter, and hopefully I will get there. And eventually he did. And it wasn't pretty at all, but he did eventually get there. It's interesting. Like, sometimes I find, like, I'm definitely not immune from, like, addiction swapping or whatever. 
like, and I know a lot, a lot of it has to do with the, the brain injury, and I hate saying that, like, it's, like, an excuse, but, like, impulse control and, like, emotion regulation, but sometimes I honestly feel like if I don't do something, like, which, unfortunately, is usually self-destructive, self-not good for me, I don't know why that is, but, like, it's, like, I got it. it's, like, and then I, I, my head, I use, like, and I know it's, like, probably dishonest, but I'm, like, well, if I don't do X, I'll drink again, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's, like, what is that term? Harm reduction. It's, like, in my right. head, like, I'm justifying doing whatever because, well, at least I'm not drinking, you know? Even though I know that's not the case, which is kind of weird, but... Yeah, I call it a rationalization. Yeah, right. So I'm 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 rationalizing that like this is okay, but really I internally know I have a like an emotional knowing that this isn't a good thing for me. So I think addiction is powerful in that way where we can rationalize our way out of almost anything. So like, oh, maybe just this one time I'm going to have my let myself have this little slip because I had a bad day. And so it's that rationalization to then go ahead and make the choice. We know that's not good for us, but the brain is like powerful and that dopamine circuit that fires so rapidly in addiction is kind of almost driving us there. So it's, I think, making that strong habit in the recovery that like, nope, no matter what, every Wednesday I am at my meeting, every day I call or text my sponsor, like that just becomes a rhythm of recovery. So that habit and that muscle has worked so strongly that you know that you're hopefully not going to make that choice of engaging that slip because you're constantly plugged into that recovery. You're constantly hey, plugged you know into one, that different mindset. I, I kind of been thinking about it. We lost Jim just for a second, so he will pop up in a minute. Okay, and we're back. So, Jim, uh, yeah. you were saying, like, you have this... No, I was saying, like, like, lately I've been thinking, like, a lot of times I find that I get frustrated because... Of, like I'm not the best and I'm just not ultra successful. I'm not perfect. Everything's not easy for me and I'm struggling. And I feel like there has to be a reason why it's not me. Like, so it's like an addiction or, a, and the brain injury would be, it would be a good excuse, but I, I've kind of like taken that in and accepted enough now that I'm like, well, that's not, Good. It's not a good enough excuse, you know, for why things are hard. Like, so it's got to be something else. And then if I can't identify something, I'm like, well, maybe I just am not good enough. And that's frustrating mm-hmm. to me. And so I tend to grab onto like destru- self-destructive kind of stuff, you know, which is yeah. really, really and annoying. I, I, like, I label that and I, sh- I, uh, I'm big at like calling out the shame flag, you know, when shame yeah. kind of pl- grabs us in that way and tells us we're not good basically or I'm bad. And so sometimes just speaking that I think is really empowering because we're kind of saying that's the emotion we're feeling and it can go a long way. I think for a lot of people who might feel that way in their recovery as well. Mm. So yeah, 
I like that quote. Uh, Comparison is the thief of joy. Correct. Hundred percent. And it, it can be. It can be. It's not always comparing to other people. Like obviously, that can be. You always can find someone with mm-hmm. more that's stronger than smarter, or better looking than you. But it's like even comparing, especially with a bunch of brains, you're comparing yourself to. Like if I honestly go to the gym every day and always think, well, it's not a good unless I do the best I've ever done at the gym. Every day is going to be a bad day. It's just things. Sometimes I'm just not going to be as fast or as strong as I was. Right. And but that's okay. You know, I, I can compare myself to like, well, what did I do yesterday? Or what is my, is my effort good? You know, it doesn't really, but I think we're such a black or white society that you're either winning or losing, you know? I yeah. Know. And I think, you know, that's a lot of our activities can boil down to winner, winning or losing. Yeah. And we don't think about those activities that we just get enjoyment of doing, of being, of being mm. a human being, of working out because it's a good thing to do for our bodies and yeah. we feel good while we're doing it. So, but I think that that mentality and I going back to that comparison is a thief of joy. And I think you made me realize that we often think about comparison with other people and in the brain injury world, thinking of comparison to our old selves. So I used to be able to do that. Or I used to, you know, do this, and now I, I can't do that, or it's different. And so I think that comparison can be the thief of joy of of that constant right. looking back to the pre-injury self to say, I should be this or I should be that. And kind of staying in your lane. I'm always a big proponent of like, <laughs> hey, this is the brain and the body we have today, and this this is what I have to work with. Mm-hmm. And can I find joy in what I'm able to do? Can it be enough? Yeah, you know it is. It's very interesting. Like I kind of, it's I'm often torn. There's like you need to let go of who you were, and that is true, and not always compare. But that doesn't mean that that's a that's necessarily awful and a bad person. There's some things about me prior to my accident that like are good. I mean, I tend to help people when I can. I have a decent sense of humor and I'm, I worked hard and played a lot of sports and like strong, close to my family. And like, that's not bad, you know, but it's like, for me, the hard part was like, tar- like wanting to shut the door entirely on this like old life that, but it's not like I'm a bad guy. You know, I made a mistake and which is, right. I mean, it's, it's just weird. You obviously nothing's black or white. And I think that, we, we always want to like simplify things, the world, because it's easier for us to digest if everything's yeah. good or bad, you know, which can be a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many things in there that you can, I think, take from that. It's great. So, you know, I know we've been talking for a while now and I'm just wondering, you know, what is maybe a couple of tips or things that you'd want to say to another TBI survivor or other brain injury survivor from your experience? Um, don't, don't like be, I think, well, for me, the big thing is, and I think I was kind of like this before, but even more so now, like I'm very regimented and stuck in my ways and like change is like the last thing I want. I don't like trying anything new. And like, there's a lot of like things that I would 
think are I, I've thought of crazy. I'm like, I would never do that, but like that I love to do now. Like, I mean, I got involved in a writing group at the Carpool Center and I, and I just started to, I noticed I love to write. So I ended up writing a memoir and like it's done decent. I go and I speak and I started doing, I hate, I'm a terrified of public. Or I was terrified of public speaking and never wanted to do it. I think I took public speaking three times in college oh, at yes. a 33% pass rate, but that's okay. But, <laughs> and I love doing it now, you know, like share the message, my message and like offer hope, but it's like some things are going to be every, every well, everything after brain injury I find is new. Like, even if you've done it before, you don't, you haven't done it with the brain injury, you know, like, like I love mm-hmm. to golf and I still play a lot of golf. I love it. And I'm lucky to be able to do it, but it's not like, I'm doing what I used to do because I don't do it anything like I used to, you know, and don't be afraid and let the, the fear of that or the fear of not being good or being uncomfortable, keep you from trying new things and stretching your, you know, scope of life. Yeah. Uh, That's great. So can you maybe talk a little bit about your memoir and where people can. Sure. So I, uh, I had a good therapist, and she used to encourage me to like write. And she, I think she, initially they wanted to, wanted to do some EMDR and like process the trauma. And honestly, I still to this day have no memory of the accident. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was kind of like, well, I can't really do that. So she was like, why don't you um, ask your mom if she has any paperwork or any details about the accident early in the hospital. So I, my mom kept like, detailed notes of like my time in the hospital and she had all the paperwork from, you know, police reports from the accident and medical stuff. So I started like writing almost kind of almost like a timeline, but then I started like writing it as like a memoir and, you know, I found it incredibly therapeutic and I just felt like it was, if anything it was empowering because I went from having, being a person that like all of a sudden has a totally different life with no idea how, and it was terrifying to well, I'm starting to piece it together. Even though I don't remember it, I know at least I know what happened now. You know, and it was mm-hmm. kind of like because I have, and I still can get this way that I feel like when I'm things are out of my control or I'm a little uncomfortable, the whole world's going to end and something really bad is going to happen. And I like will like grasp for control in whatever maladaptive way that is. It doesn't really matter. But like it was kind of good to not have that sense of the unknown so much. And like, even though I always knew I was drunk driving and I didn't know really anything about the details. So it it was really, really cool to put that together a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think people would love to reach out to you. So where can people reach out to you if they want to hear you speak or they, yeah. So I, um, sorry for that beeping. So I, um, I, Got a web, I put a website up. It's called um, my memoir is called More Than a Speed Bump: My uh, Life Before and After Traumatic Brain Injury. Um, so I put a I put a website up that kind of like houses a blog I write, which is basically about every other week. Usually, I shut up. every other week I post something, but it's you know it's just living life and stories from my life that I think will help other people, or at least even even just if it's going to entertain and funny stuff about my dog, or whatever. And um, that's been pretty cool. And then I put on there a link to like contact me, and I get I have quite a few good conversations. I go I speak at schools quite a bit, and I 
I mean, it's a lot. I mean, my story is very cautionary, which is, it is what it is. And I mean, I'm, I'm not thrilled that like, that's what I'm talking about, but if, if I can help, yeah. why not? You know, okay. but I also get to do a lot of speaking with, um, other things like therapy, therapy practices, like speech therapy, occupational therapy, college classes and, um, high school journalism classes, which is pretty cool. But great. Yeah. Well, I think people will definitely want to reach out. So well, yeah. So they, my email on there is uh, Jim at more than a speed bump dot com. And if anyone emails me, I'll I'm, I get back to everyone. So it's not awesome. Not, not a problem. So I'll put that in the show notes that people awesome. will grab your email. And do you have any like last words for a survivor who might be listening to this? Um. There's a lot of great things that I've I've gained. I think it would be that don't 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 stop because because you want to because soon you you you'll want to keep going. Like how you feel right now is not how you're gonna feel. Like this this times honestly, like I still get there I have bad days and I'm like this is just not worth it. I don't want to do this anymore. But I get out of I think probably because I have a dog, I have to get up and start my day. And like, I, I find myself, I go to the gym, I go to work, I go to the carpal center and I have pretty good days, you know? Yeah. So no matter, there's a, I read, someone gave me a great book. It's uh, when, when you're going through hell, don't stop. And I, I like that. Like move a muscle, change your thought, you know? Like, yes. Yes. Just, just keep going. Like don't quit until before the miracle happens, you know? Yeah. Awesome, Jim. Well, it's been so great talking with you. Great talking to you. People will reach out and I'll talk with you soon. Awesome. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on the TBI Therapist Podcast. Please visit tbitherapist.com for more information on brain injury, concussion, and mental health. The information shared on today's podcast is intended to provide information, awareness, and discussion on the topic. It is not clinical or medical advice. If you need mental health or medical advice, please seek a professional. 